Welcome back into our Huskers Radio Network podcast as we continue our Title IX podcast series and celebrate excellence in women's athletics. For 50 years of Title IX, we welcome in two pioneers of Nebraska softball, Mm -hmm. head coach Rhonda Ravel and associate head coach Lori Sippel. And I've got some notes here. So since 1982, during that span, there's only been two years that one of you weren't, was not involved with the program. How crazy is that? I mean, you don't find that anywhere. I mean, I don't know if there's anywhere in the program that has it. I know. And I think it took us several years to really recognize that. And it probably was Matt Smith. It was. It was Matt Smith that gave me the numbers. Well, it was was probably (laughs) Matt Smith that gave us the numbers back then. It's like, oh, really? And so, so once he said that, you know, of course, we've been aware of it now for several years. It's like, okay, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And that's kind of a long time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and you walk down the hall and you see all the pictures of all the teams from that time and you go yep know them know them was one was one coached them and it's 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 pretty incredible uh-huh. well 50 years of title nine can you believe that it's been 50 years no and in fact in our sport it's been 40 years of ncaa softball and somebody tweeted the other day about the first ncaa uh, softball college world series 1982 and i went wait i played in that, that. <laughs> i know so <laughs> old <laughs> Does it feel like, I mean, because I know it was a, such a huge deal at the time when they started making these changes for women's sports. Does it feel like it's been that long? Coach well, Sibble? It, it, feels, it, it feels like it's been a long time because I know how I feel in my body and I <laughs> got to participate in the 80s in those World Series. Um, but I think I'm so busy being thankful and grateful for where it's going mm-hmm. and where it is right now that uh, I think we still have places to go with it and to build upon, but I think everybody's starting to see softball for what it is. And uh, it's growing rapidly, um, but we've been in a long time, so it couldn't come soon enough. Yeah, it is crazy just the the growth really over the last decade or so. And even you just look at the Women's College World Series, which we're just wrapping up. You went, what was it like, as you said, you played in 1982, the very first one, to see Mm -hmm. where it is today. Well. That's night and day. I mean, there's just no comparison. But even from when Nebraska was last in there in 2013, the venue, first of all, I've never been there just as a spectator in the most recent, you know, last couple of decades. So to just walk in and, you know, park over at Remington Park, is that what's called, where the horse uh-huh. track is, yeah. and walk over and just see outside the stadium i mean it's festive it's like a carnival and i really you know i've been to omaha and the college world series for baseball and i felt like it really rivaled it It had really a similar kind of feel you get into the stadium and you same kind of thing i mean it's not it's not just families there it's a lot of just fans from all over the country talking about this being on their bucket list or a destination spot so it's really um I don't know. It's just really exciting to see the, the, the sport grow like that. Yeah, and Lori, for the to have to add on another level of fans to get to go, and you played in two of them in the early 80s too, uh, what's it like for you to see that now? I just I have to pinch myself to, to think that women get to go and play in an atmosphere that's two tiers. You know, you think mm-hmm. of Major League Baseball and you see while well, they're on the second level and people are buying tickets to be in a nosebleed section at a women's event and uh, I think just think that's absolutely awesome and I think um, hopefully they we just keep growing and they have to add another tier or think outside the box to even grow up more. So that's where we are now but of course you two were on the ground floor of building this program back what was it like when you first started playing softball for both of you when you first got into the sport and trying to 
make a mark when it wasn't as easy for women back then? You know, I think back then we weren't trying to make a mark. We mm -hmm. just wanted to play. Yeah. I mean, the opportunity to play, because I am of the age that I kind of started pre-Title IX and was, couldn't, couldn't, I wanted to play as an eight-year-old and couldn't. So I didn't get to play my first softball game until I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So I had four or five years where I just practiced, which wasn't bad, but it's because I didn't have an opportunity to play. And so then I think as you get to college, and there were, then there were opportunities to earn a scholarship. Oh, my gosh. And then I remember I graduated, and I remember my coach talking to me about a grad assistantship, and I'm like, really? That can happen? And then somebody else asked about it, being an assistant coach and getting paid $900 a year <laughs> to be an assistant coach. And I'm like, wow, that can happen? And, and you know, every, every step along the way, it was like a wow moment. Like, this can be a full-time job. Wow, that can happen. And, and, on, and on we go. And then now you see, you see really great things happening from whether it's, uh, you know, multi-year multi contracts for coaches. Wow, that can happen. To NIL deals. Wow, that can happen. I think probably the biggest thing that I was thinking about just last night, I, I look at Josh and Nala, and they, they put her up there with the Kobe Bryants and the Michael Jordans, but she's not going to get that salary that, wow, that can happen yet. Mm -hmm. Yet. 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 So when that happens for a woman in softball, that will be a wow, that can happen moment too. What was it like for you when you first were getting started playing the sport? Well, I came from Canada, so I felt like the opportunity to even come to a university in the United States, that to me was, okay, Sipple, let's see what you're made of. <laughs> let's see where you really fit. And um, so when I came here and I saw that I could, they had the old Schulte Fieldhouse that we shared with football and baseball and every other sport because it was the only indoor. But yet when I walked in there on my recruiting visit, and, I, and it was January, so it was freezing out. And I walked in there and I went, you mean I can practice in here all year round on old field turf that was taken from the original football, you know? And I was like, I was just in awe of the facility at that time but probably more than that, I was in awe of the practices and how fiery they were and how, how gritty the women were and how they were sliding on this astroturf <laughs> and diving and just the energy. And, and I just went, this is, I think I can get, I, I said, I think I can get good here. Wow. And, and, and that was a culmination of a lot of things. Um, but just the opportunity that, I was given to once I decided to come here, but the opportunity, okay, now I got to see what I'm really made of. I feel like I'm pretty good, but now I really got to prove it. Because back then, even from coming from Canada to the U.S., the U.S. in softball, even back then, was at a different level. And so being invited to be a part of that and really see what I might be made of was important. Coming to Nebraska and seeing the facilities back then. Um, I was like, okay, this, I, it's, I, don't mess this up. I have a great opportunity here. Um, and then I think the other thing, too, is just I remember getting my first pair of spikes. And you got one, and you wore them all year, but I was just, came, I just thought I was blessed. And, but at the same time, as you, you got better and, you, and the game got growing and, and you went to California and you did all these things, it was like I always remembered people coming in and 
they had all they could only do day trips the women's program could only do day trips because that's they were and they had to decide how far they would travel for gas and they had to drive themselves and in some cases families drove their vans and put the kids in them so it was very localized because of the opportunity and the money that was behind it so Rada, do you remember when Title IX, when they announced it, how it all, all unfolded, how you felt in that moment? If you, did you realize the possibility that was going to come from that? You know, I was, I was pretty young, I yeah. think 10 or 12, but what I knew is that I was going to have an opportunity to play. So I didn't understand exactly why. I just knew some law had been passed. I'm like, great. So, uh, you know, I, I, take a, I was a bat girl for my dad's fast pitch team, and so then I got to hang up those baseball pants and got to play softball and put on the softball shorts. But I just remember just it was just exciting because we put together a team and right away we were pretty good and we played on regional and then the national level and I was 12 years old and we were already taking a team to the national tournament playing for a national championship and that felt really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you guys start coaching, and, and you talked about this a little bit, but um, even though Title IX was in place and you could have the program, but the opportunities were still limited and the resources were limited. So what were some of the things, the challenges that you guys dealt with, especially there in the early 80s? As coaches or players? Well, both. Players, first okay. of all, yeah. Okay, well... I think as a player for me, we didn't have a field on campus. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were about four miles off of campus that we had to you know, drive to every day to play. And it was fine. We had a field. We didn't really think about it. But now that I think about that, that was a big, pretty big sacrifice. Um, we didn't have a locker room. You know, we just went in the bathroom and changed our clothes, didn't think anything of it. Uh, one of the things I remember in 1982 when we won the Big Eight championship, we got a sweatshirt. <laughs> and I wore that sweatshirt till it had holes in it because it was our championship sweatshirt, but it just signified so much because we only had one other sweatshirt, but we got a second sweatshirt for winning the championship. Wow. So when you just put it in perspective like yeah. that, those three things are big. What about for you? I remember uh, one of the first, well, the first Big 8 championship was actually down in Reeves, for me, it was down in Reeves Park in Oklahoma. And up to that point, we had... Basically, the buses that, you know, shuttle through between campuses, um, that's what we would travel in. And so you'd have this three-foot area in the back that you put all your equipment and all of your luggage, and then everybody, the 16 of you, I think it was about at the time, and then the coaches would drive that. So it was one, like, minibus. But when we went down to Reeves, uh, Reeves Park for the big, big eights at that time, we got a bus. <laughs> And, I mean, just how special you felt mm -hmm. because just because we got, we got to sit in a bus and we each got our own little seat, you know, we didn't have to share plus, and, and so, and so you're, you're over the moon for that. And, and that was the version of making you feel special when you're going to a tournament of that caliber. And, and then we can go from that to then we got to get our own vans and but we would still have to to drive them and just the idea of driving down there getting a hotel playing two double headers and then having to drive eight hours back and it was like but we we thought at that time we were blessed and we were but at the same time it's like it's got to be able to be better yeah we can do better 
and uh, thankfully we are. Yeah, I was going to ask for both of you, too. Do you remember when you started coaching? Do you remember a, a switch where you're like a, you were a player and you were thinking, oh, this is great, but then you, when you became a coach and you're realizing, I'm fighting for these young women and, and the growth of this sport. Did that change for you in your mind, first of all? It, it did in that, um, you know, it, comparison, what, what do we say? Comparison is the thief of joy. Thief of joy. <laughs> But, and to, to an extent, but at the same time, when you see, when you just compare the hours and the time and the effort that the, the females were putting in, the, the ladies were putting in, and you see how much, because you're sharing facilities, and you see how much time and effort the, the men are putting in, it's like, this is samesy, <laughs> you know? And, but then when it came time to leave on a trip, it wasn't. And so it was kind of, and then, and then probably, and we weren't the only ones that noticed it, they did. Mm -hmm. And so now you have to speak to, they, they see that we're loading into this, this tin can type thing and they're getting on a bus or they're doing, and it's like so, and, and we, we didn't have an answer for it. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to, we needed to go, no, you know what, this is, we need to, we need to maybe ask better questions. Mm -hmm. What about for you? Did it switch for you where you realized, okay, now I'm having to fight for a team as opposed to just playing for fun? Yeah, and especially I think as a head coach, you'd maybe think about it a little differently. And I remember when it really hit me um, the very first time, we were actually, Lori talked about the Schulte Fieldhouse. Well, there were two batting cages that came down from the ceiling in there, but we didn't really get to use them. We had to go down in the mushroom garden and use cages. And it was just kind of standard operating procedure the softball team went down and it was in a dust bowl and the baseball team was up and it hit me one day that I needed to go to the baseball coach at the time John Sanders and go John why is this arrangement this way he goes well it's just always been this way I said we need to change that hmm. and so we were able to then start getting some cage time in there we just had to have a conversation because honestly he'd never thought about it I said can we work something out and I and I still don't think it was equitable I think if I if my memory serves we got it on Tuesdays and Thursdays and they kept it on Monday Wednesday Fridays you know <laughs> it was something like that but at least we started to make a dent you know and and then when it came I, I remember and I think this is possibly true for a lot of women um, in from my generation it was it was hard to fight maybe for salary equity but I want it was much easier for me to fight for Lori I mean, Lori was making $13,000 for the longest time. And I'm like, it was at the threshold to get her to $20,000 was like monumental. And I was on a mission with Dr. Hibner, like, we've got to cross over the $20,000 threshold. I mean, she is like a legend in Nebraska already at that time, and we've got to get her in the 20s. Wow. And that was, I mean, that was in the 1990s. It wasn't that long ago. Wow. So, I mean, and again, that being said, even though at the time, and now looking back, oh, well, it needed to be better, y'all had some fun times and some oh. of the things that you had to do. I mean, I was told a story where you just get some chicken and some buckets to go and, and ride up in the van and, and hit the road, right? Oh, yeah. You know, the vans, I miss the vans in a certain <laughs> kind of way because there was a lot of sharing that went on. And for us to communicate back and forth, we had the old-fashioned walkie-talkies. <laughs> and literally, we, we made song games out of it from band to van. I mean, we had our own karaoke. We created competitions. I mean, it, we did. It was fun. Did y'all have radio names and over and out and all of that? <laughs> well, we did some 10-4 good buddy stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I agree with Rhonda. There's there was something lost from that too in terms of Rhonda got all the freshmen, so the head coach got the freshmen, and so they'd go, oh, they'd kind of make their way over to Rhonda's van, and and then uh, I got more of the upperclassmen in my van, and and but you were in such a uh, close proximity that. You know, you knew how everybody was feeling before the game and after the game, and mm -hmm. and conversations were just really organically break out. Now on the buses it, or on the planes, you know, they they they're as far away from us as they possibly can be. Not really, but but uh, they kind of put the freshmen in the front and the seniors go to the back. But mm -hmm. so they you can hear their conversations, but you're not nearly as in the middle of them as you were before. Mm -hmm. And even even things like uh, you know we. Then had a field over Mabel Lee on campus here, but the dirt was constituted of dump dirt. So every day we knew before we started practice that we were going to pick up rocks, nails, whatever, glass out of out, off the dirt, and then Coach Sipple was going to take the three, the Honda three wheeler, and drag it so we could get <laughs> ready for practice. But it was like a team event, and you know, Pride in the Park was happening just out of necessity, but it really bonded the team too. You know, we painted our own dugouts. We had a, a player on our team that was a graphic artist, and she designed it. We just went to work and painted our own dugout. So, so there were some things that were, you look back and go, you had to do that. They call <laughs> that team building now? Well, that was just something that we did back then. You had to. You didn't yeah, have a choice, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I know it's not something that you would want women to have nowadays because you want it to continue to grow but do you guys both feel a, a, an appreciation every time you step out onto the field knowing all the things you had to battle through and fight for to get to where it is today 100 percent Lori and i we, we haven't even really talked about this in probably 10 years we're always the last two to leave the dugout whether it's game day or practice day and i think it's we both take a moment i, I can only speak for myself to just kind of just drink it in and and just go wow yeah yeah it's not a, it's a, you spent so much time trying to build it to what it is that I'm not in a hurry to leave it mm -hmm. and I, it's one of the you know some people might like oceans some people might like forests some people might like mountains there's nothing to me that's especially after a win but there's nothing to me that's greater than seeing the stadium clear out and just being in the dugout as everybody leaves it and and yeah, there might be the buzz of people working on the grounds and doing different things like that, but it's, it's, it could be a part of my calm app, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, it just feels really, really good. And I think yeah. there is a, a level of being grateful for where we are, regardless of the, the scoreboard. Um, and, and I think it's just good karma to really make sure that you are grateful for the, the arena, to be in it. Being that how big this game has continues to be in the record numbers tuning in on TV. Was there a, a moment where you felt a shift happening where this sport is getting big and getting popular and people like to watch it? I, I don't know when the year or the years were, but I remember at our NFCA coaches convention, Mega Ronowitz, uh, ESPN, started showing up and she would meet with coaches or she would give an update. And just by listening, you know, leadership matters. And just by listening to her speak and knowing her story, she was a Division Three softball player. It's her passion. And her passion is women's sports, but specifically, she was a softball player. 
And she talked about how she was going to pour into it, and she felt like it was her life's calling. And if you go back and you track one single person, you know, one single person can change the course of time, right? And I really feel like we had to tag it to one single person, changing the course of time for the notoriety and the publicity, particularly through the television venue. It's Mega Ronowitz. Hmm. I think the Olympics had a big, a big start as well, uh, with the the United States being so strong at the Olympics and and uh, and certainly Atlanta in 96 uh, being the host and, and but that was the first time you really saw people lining up to go in and um, and I think the college game is blowing that out of the water right now for sure but at the same time I think that's when it got to the game got showcased in a very professional manner and uh, I think people took notice of that and certainly just these are athletes out here getting it done and and so I think that was a good start and then all the pre-Olympics and post-Olympics because it was college players that were making up those teams and so well what how did they get there you know what are they doing outside of the, that one year every four years and uh, I think that kind of started the push a little bit and then um, Meg really really got the ball rolling and is steadfast and continuing to grow it. I do, I gotta go backwards a little bit because I think maybe people might be interested to hear, and, and I think we talked about this on National Girls and Women Sports Day, but for you, Lori, as well, how you even got into playing softball and why you fell in love with the sport as a little girl in the first place? My dad played men fast pitch. Mm -hmm. So that was my, that was my gateway into softball. And that I was just enthralled with um, the pitchers and my dad played on a really highly competitive team, Pan Pack. And anybody that knows men's fast pitch can go, oh, I know the Pan Pack mm -hmm. teams. And then when we would go practice at this park, there was another field, and I would see these women practicing. I'm like, oh, women can play too. And I remember Nancy Wellborn, a really big time pitcher in the time, was from Oregon, or at least pitching in Oregon. And I don't know, I just became enamored with it. Uh, I had a brother that played uh, men's fast pitch, boys fast pitch, and I would go to all of his tournaments in our local, I came from the country and we just had our local community would have, a, but we, there was the field, the, the diamond started games at three, and then the guys would come in and play at six and nine. And so you would be practicing on one field and then you'd go and watch, and that's just what you did. And so I watched him, well, and we lived on a farm, and I was the youngest, and so I and I didn't want to be inside. I want to be outside, so I'd just constantly be throwing with him. And then, of course, you got to be on the 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 wrong end of a game of burnout and with your brother, and you just learn to catch. And you and and I think they they just decided, well, let's sign her up, you know. And uh, so it, that's kind of how I got my start. And once I got playing, it was. Um, I just wanted I wanted to be good. I wanted to I wanted to be needed on the team and and I wanted to be somebody that they they wanted to have as a teammate. So, just kept growing. What about to become a coach? So, that's how you got into softball. What about when that moment came where you're like, "Okay, I want to coach this sport?" Mm -hmm. So, I always wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to play until I was 44. I just had it in my mind I wanted to play until I was 44. <laughs> I don't know why. Specifically 44. Yeah, and the reason I wanted to be a teacher is because you had summers off so you could play. <laughs> See, I had it all mapped out, had it uh -huh. all figured out. And then, um, you know, I, like I said, 
my college coach said, Rhonda, have you ever thought about coaching? Well, my dad was my coach. He, he gave up playing to coach our team. And I'm like, well, I've lived with a coach, and that's really a thing. And so then it, you know, the, somebody planted a seed, and it went from there. So I actually, right after I graduated from Nebraska, I went over and I worked at Wesleyan for a couple of years. So my very first year after graduating, I've been coaching ever since. Now, I've done some other jobs to make a living, but I, there haven't not coached one year since college, and I think Lori's got the same story there. Right. I, I remember I was being uh, interviewed for an article in the Daily Nebraskan while I was playing here, and, and I, I said I wanted to coach. And I don't know what the exact question was, but I said I really want to be able to coach. And, and I, don't, I probably surprised myself when I said it because I don't remember sitting down saying I'm going to do this until whatever. I just, it was just, I, I like, I just loved the game. I loved finding edges. I loved finding ways to get better. I, I, I loved seeing, well, tipping my hat to the opponent when they were good, but then trying to figure out how I could be that. Um, so there was just, a, it was, I loved being beside the coach. When, if I wasn't out on the, I loved being beside the coach. It just, and then I just realized I had a lot of people, coaches in my life that influenced me, and that would just be really cool if I could say that maybe I influenced somebody the way I had been. So I remember saying it, that, and then I went back, and the next day all my teammates came. She wants to be a coach. She wants to be a coach. And, and, and we actually, sometimes they tease me now at alumni events that I said that, and, it, and it's, it's a good, fun time. But it was just I, I wanted to be have the opportunity to maybe influence somebody the way so many had influenced me. Well, I know why I love the sport, but from your guys' perspective, why do you think people have fallen in love with this sport really, I mean, here recently, but continue to fall in love with the sport? Mm -hmm. I have a couple different theories that are kind of in different buckets, but I've First thing is what I hear from people that are outside the sport. So there may be in athletics, but they're outside of softball specifically. And it really comes back to the relationship aspect. Like they just have found the sport of softball and the people that play it very relationship-oriented, very teammate-oriented, very bring you all in and, you know, kind of a family feel. And, and I I'm not saying that doesn't exist in other sports, but that's what I get from people that serve multiple sports and work with multiple sports. And just... It feels a connection, and I really love that. And then the other thing that I hear in that same vein, I hear this from a lot of coaches that coach other sports, is I can't believe how much you coaches share. And you kind of take care and support one another, even though you're competitive against one another. And so, again, it's back to that relationship, that sense of belonging, that connection. Um, I think that, that the, the average fan feels that energy, and it helps them feel connection, and I think we're all searching for that. Mm -hmm. And I think it just really brings a joy to people. So that would be my biggest guess. I think that I have a lot of the same, but I'll go in a little different angle in that, um, you know, we're in, a, we're in an airport, and people will bravely come up, what sport are you? <laughs> you know, and, they'll, and they, can't, they never know. They, they never guess because all different sizes, um, but there, there's a core skill set that anybody can, can, can have. And I think it's, it's that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And, and 
So in softball, you can have different body types. You can, but if they, are, if you can master a skill set that then you're willing to share and give to the team, you can have a role that that lifts and takes the team anywhere. And so I think there's a, a there's a lot of people can see themselves in the game, perhaps, mm -hmm. and then when they see. Um, all of those different pieces working for each other and celebrating each other, uh, maybe they just don't feel so alone and so stuck. One, you know, you're stuck in one mold. Um, so I think that's part of it too. Is that a lot of people? It, it's harder than they think, <laughs> and and they don't aren't in the same arena sometimes. But at, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of people that can see themselves in the game. I'd be interested to hear from both of you too, just from when you were playing to the players now, the biggest area is that this game has changed and gotten better, improved. Mm -hmm. Okay, but before we answer that, can we turn it back on you? Yeah, because sure. you started by saying, I know why I love the yeah. game. I love it. I think it's, it's a fun game to watch. It's mm -hmm. fast. It is, um, I think you could tune in and not know about the sport and get it really easily. But for me, why I am drawn into it is because they're allowed to have fun. The players are allowed to have fun. You can tell every team you watch, a lot of them, the ones that you enjoy watching or the I enjoy watching, are enjoying playing the game. And that's mm -hmm. what sports is, right? It's fun and you enjoy, it's an escape and you want to have fun watching it. And mm -hmm. to me, of all the sports that you watch, there's no doubt about it, you, you see the players having the most fun or at least showing it that they're having the most fun mm -hmm. in the game of softball. Mm -hmm. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes absolutely. a lot of sense. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So that's for me anyways. Yeah. Okay, biggest changes. Um, well, I'll, I'll go with the physicalness of the athlete and just how they've been trained, whether it's been through nutrition, strength training, uh, skill set training, it, all that. I mean, it's just you can't even compare. And then the second thing is technology. I mm -hmm. mean, just just our bats. We, we were just laughing. We were just laughing the other day about the bats we had when we Played. I mean, it's like we were using wooden sticks almost. Um, so to me, those are the two greatest things is the advancement in training the actual athlete on all er in all areas and then the advancement in technology. I was going to say that technology initially too because in 96 going into the Olympics, you know, it was only a year or two before that that they, any company even tried to design something for women's softball for fast pitch. We were, everybody was still taking a, a men's things produced for baseball and trying to turn it in to help a women's sport, and and it wasn't going on. So you think of it, it was only the early 90s that companies went, oh, this can be an Olympic sport, and so maybe we'll we'll put a, a, some of our budget towards making proper gloves that fit their hands, batting gloves, bats. And things like that, and then that just grew. Now, now they're they're seeking the female softball player mm -hmm. to actually promote their product. So mm -hmm. that helped. And then they were actually interested in what was going to help to advance and make our game better. They they were bringing people into the panel, women coaches into the panel, players into the panel. How can we help you to you know? And so, um, and that wasn't that long ago. So. I think that really helped, um, and then as we actually got to use equipment that was made for women, 
now that the equipment has to advance because the women are. Yeah. And and just the tech engine, just the analytics and the video and mm -hmm. and all those things that we're able to, you know, we we taught ourselves based on watching somebody. Now we can have so much information on video that we can help the players, but we can also continue to be educate ourselves on the next best practice. Mm -hmm. Have you found too that um, this is kind of with all sports, but with the athlete and just the way that it's grown, you've had to stay evolving basically to stay mm -hmm. keep up with each year that it, it kind of changes and, and grows. How do you go about that part mm -hmm. of it? I think you have to be committed to that. You have to have an awareness that you've always got to evolve. You always need to be learning. If you're not learning, you're regressing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't. I, that doesn't matter if you're a 30-year-old coach or a 60-year-old coach. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, that really bears out. I think at the end of the day, though, using all the resources that you have available, every individual is different. Different. Like I might need to use video for one reason and Lori might need to use it for another and then learning your athletes and what what helps them the most and what's best for them because I think that just like with anything you some people can be you know paralysis by analysis other people really run with that stuff but the other thing at the end of the day we're all still human beings we all have a soul the relationship part is very important and just knowing that you care about one another and mm -hmm. taking time to develop that. That never goes away and that never gets old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. Anything? Yeah. Not, nothing yeah. to add to that. No, that sounds right. So when, uh, you know, kind of wrapping this up a little bit, but when you first picked up your first glove or, or bat and fell in love with the sport, could you have ever thought that it would have taken you to the places that it has to where you are today and how it would have evolved into the game that it has today? No. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I just remember, you know, again, I wasn't playing yet because I wasn't 12, but I could hear my dad's Jeep coming home from work every day at 4.30, and our two gloves were stacked on top of each other, and I wouldn't even let him in the house. We were going to go out and pitch in the cul-de-sac, and I didn't even know for why. I never knew if I'd ever play a game, but I just loved to play catch. And now to think about that it's created, for me personally, my entire career mm -hmm. and so much joy and excitement of watching a game grow and hopefully impacting and having a good positive impact on a lot of young people it's more than you could ever dream of right same same story I remember hopping a hopping a fence to my first tryout the, I went took a different bus from school got them to stop at the ball field I went down in the ditch and hopped over the fence, and, was, and I was about a half hour early and just sat on the bench in total silence. Maybe that's why I like to sit in the dugout <laughs> to this day. And uh, first team I ever made, I think we were the carrots. The carrots? Yeah, Saturday mornings, and we were all vegetables because we were a farming community, and I was the carrots. And first game was like the carrots <laughs> versus the turnips. And, and, uh, um, Sounds like a and, heated battle. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's like... Sometimes if you think of it that simply and go back to why, why did you play and therefore why do you coach, um, sometimes that's probably the most important question every year to, to keep you going. So how can we continue to grow the game, women's sports in particular? You know, you'd, I think you had said earlier we're not there yet. We're not where we – we're not at the pinnacle yet. So how do we keep growing it? And, Lori, I'll start with you on this one. 
Wow. Um, I think I think we always have to 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 continue to educate ourselves and grow and make sure that we're being really current and and, and trying to think ahead. You know, don't 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 get too comfortable where you are. Is there what's bigger and better and going forward? But making sure that you're very present for the athletes that you have at that time. Um, I think just understanding learning styles and things like that so that we can be educated so we can work with the kid that really needs a lot of vision, so work with the person that needs you, three, three different examples so that they can get it and, and continue to, to educate yourself on just coaching not just the game but the people. Um, I think that's how we continue to grow it that way and just don't, don't put a ceiling on it. Mm -hmm. Don't put a ceiling on, well, this is the way we did it. Well, that, that's been successful, but at the same time, what's out there in the future? How can we continue to stretch the players that are in it, the game themselves? How can we, can we make it an easier game to watch? How, just all those things. Just always keep asking questions. And I think a real key are the, the younger people in the game, whether it's the younger professionals or still the players, by, because they, they have great ideas and they probably are thinking of things that have never been thought of before. And we need to keep asking those questions like how can this game be better? We need to ask all sorts of people in all sorts of pockets, how can this game be better? And that's, I think, how a lot of times the big ideas come. And the exposure, too, how important is that to continue to, to give a platform to these student-athletes, whether ESPN, Big Ten Network? You know, I know we get a lot of fans asking about you know, the Big Ten Plus stream. Not everybody has that. But, you know, just continuing to fight to put this sport on TV because obviously people watch it when they put it there, right? Right. No, I, th I think that's of critical importance, and it's amazing how many people in all, in all of our sports, but in, I'm just going to speak for softball, uh, in particular talked about watching us this year but they weren't they didn't live in Lincoln or they weren't at our games but how many people got to watch us so you have to have a platform to be able to do that and and I think that this is a game you talked about it, it's exciting it's fast-paced it's you know it's easy to understand so I think it's easy to be a fan of and and there's a place in the more we have that exposure and and venues and avenues to do that the more there's opportunity for people who played the game and were great at the game outside of being a coach or a player. Mm -hmm. You know, let, get, go and go and and educate people through broad, through the broadcast and through the analytics and through all that and grow it that way. There's a lot of ways that you can continue to grow it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that people really took away from the place was the relationship that your staff had with the women's basketball staff. And how special is that to be? a part of a program that you have the success of women's basketball and volleyball that you guys can push each other and it's not competing you are supporting and lifting each other up mm -hmm. well i know for me that that has really you know that growth of that relationship and those relationships i feel like it's um just enhanced us personally and i i hope basketball would say the same mm -hmm. But I feel like it's starting to, like I was at an event the other night and Amy happened to be there too and she was across the room. She walked over and a couple of people said, we love that you guys are willing to go public and talk about how you support each other. 
And I'm like, Amy, this thing's kind of catching fire. Mm-hmm. Like, like our friendship is, you know, people know that we're friends. I mean, yeah. But but I think I think people like to see that. Mm-hmm. They like to see people in the same profession, not against each other, but supporting and celebrating each other's successes. And I just remember years ago when we were our offices were in the Coliseum and Coach Pettit was the the head coach of volleyball at the time and and uh, very seldom did we actually get to sit down with him but we were on both uh, different ends of the hall but there was a time and 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 he always had great nuggets of information and I just remember one time we were discussing something and he's like you have to have a network you have to have a network that you can rely on you have to have a, a person and and doesn't have to be somebody within the sport but you have to have a colleague that's going through and and their journey is really similar it's not about the the bat whether it's a bat and ball or a volleyball or whatever it's it's the position you have to have a network of people that you can can sound things off and things like that and i think but this is the one time that we really committed to that and i think it really benefited and it is nice to be able to throw things out there but just to have different discussions and stuff it was it it I really, I really enjoyed it. And, and another thing, you know, this is just one small thing that was a big thing. We heard from the women's basketball staff after each game all year long. And they heard from us after each one of their games all year long. Mm-hmm. So just that support network right there. Mm-hmm. Win, lose, or draw. Um, I could ask you guys a million more questions, but I'll, I'll, uh, my final one will just be, you know, as we kick off this 50-year um, anniversary celebration and we're doing a lot of things here at Nebraska over the next year but we kick it off here in June um, when you think about title nine what does it mean to each of you well opportunity and, and that's the one word that I keep you know trying to grow legs on opportunity and opportunity in so many ways opportunity to compete opportunity to play at the highest level opportunity for exposure opportunity for equality and in not only facilities but pay equity just continuing to push the envelope in opportunity for women opportunity for women in leadership positions within athletics in all athletics I just talked to one of our alums yesterday she said that an AD contacted her about an opening for the softball job at a university but the baseball job was also open for twenty thousand dollars more I said to ask him if you could be his baseball coach <laughs> opportunity mm-hmm. right yeah um, uh, I think all of that, but I also go, um, I, I think historically, and when we first started coaching here and we had our first alumni event, I went back to the club t- when Nebraska was a club sport. And we've always tried to include, so we might have the, the once it became a varsity sport, but we've always included um, anybody that we know of who played for Nebraska, they played for the red team at that time, that even if it was a club sport, because um, the, it's on their shoulders as well that mm-hmm. we rise. And so um, the opportunity, but I like to always remember who continued to advance the opportunity for us, and then who's, who's, who are on our shoulders, and think of them as well so that we can continue to grow it, and maybe with a grateful heart, but at the same time, um, understanding that we've got more. 
I like that. Like you guys, you went with future or present, and you went with past a little mm -hmm. bit. And that's why we work so well together. <laughs> that, that is right, right there, right? That's three decades of working together. <laughs> three decades. Only right. two years over the last 40, right? The right, 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 right. right. Back yeah. Beginning. And just finally, the, the support that you guys have for women's sports here that people care. I mean, you <sighs> just don't find that everywhere either. That's got to be special, too. It's so special. And I'll go back to historical there with Barb Hibner. Because Barb mm -hmm. Hibner got it going a long time ago, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people just chimed in, and I just think that's why we are years ahead of a lot of places. And and I mean, rabid as you've witnessed, mm -hmm. rabid sport fans for all of our sports. I I pinch myself every time we have a recruit on campus, and I get to show off this university and this athletics department. It's 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 one of my favorite things to do is the, a tour. And um, to so, so when we get to see what the university and the support of the university and the support of walking down the hall and recruits and parents are just in awe of people that know us, say hi, who we say hi to, know them by name. And um, as I think that's just something that we need to see as a prized possession and continue to make sure that that's part of this university and this athletics department. Anything we missed that you guys wanted to add, talk about? I think we covered a lot of ground today. I think we did. Yeah. I think I got it all in. But appreciate you guys so much for uh, talking to us. Uh, it's fascinating to me to always, you think about always, we're always moving forward, moving forward. But to, to take the time to, to think about how far we have come yeah. is, is always important. And to continue to, to push forward is yeah. a lot of times to go back and think about how yeah. far we did come. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think both are important. So yeah. I appreciate you just taking the time to really spotlight this topic over this month. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you, guys. And again, for much more on uh, the Huskers Title IX celebration, huskers.com slash Title IX. And make sure you subscribe and like wherever you listen so you don't miss any of the episodes coming up over the next year.